0: Welcome to Afterthoughts everybody. This is our recommend or refute episode where we are each going to talk about a separate movie that we watched this week and whether we would recommend or refute it. I am your host, Michael Dixon. With me as always, Mr. Ryan King.
1: Hey, how's it going? I do have a family movie that out of the way i ready. am Fine. shocked
0: i'm glad yeah I'm Ryan, shocked. I'm shocked. Shocked. shocked to
2: find family movies on this podcast <laughs> delivered by you
0: <laughs> and that voice is john garcia how's it going john
2: hey, hey i uh, fell off the wagon uh, while you were out dixon <laughs> yeah. um
0: I've, i'm shocked been shocked been- to hear that you <laughs> fell off the shocked wagon shocked to john. find schlock in this <laughs>
2: podcast here uh, so, yeah, I'm going to bring, you know, the same kind of usual stuff I usually bring. So
0: great. Uh, so some sort of boob thing. Uh, okay, <laughs> That's
1: right. Chesty Morgan's back, baby. <laughs>
0: <laughs> uh, Ryan, tell us about your family movie that you watched this week.
1: Yeah, we were looking again for for something. Uh, the kids are about to go back to school. So we're kind of having our like last movie night. Uh, Darla went to pick and she th- I think after watching a little bit, she was like, "I thought this was the game where they do something with the board game or whatever." I'm like, you mean Jumanji?" She's like, yeah, <laughs> I mean, that was it. So she was wanting to watch Jumanji, but we end up watching Labyrinth, oh. um, which I had on I had on the list of like you know, I've never seen it's that. A movie to watch. Yeah, it's been a while since I watched it, and I, I'm a Jim Henson apologist. <laughs> okay <laughs> i guess so that's I'll an okay that.
2: apologist to be i'll get that <laughs> part through
1: um i find the muppet movie amazing it's one of my favorite movies and i'll admit it wow. does not age it's it's an inter- it's an odd movie um so labyrinth is a Henson directed movie this and dark crystal were his attempt to make not as puppety movies with a little bit darker tone both of which were horrible box office bombs Mm. and pretty much ended him doing that or exploring that any further. Um, Which at the end of it, I'm like, Henson can make characters and he can work with people to bring characters to life and he can be funny. His really original dark humor stuff is funny, uh, but I don't think he can necessarily make something like cohesive and he needs some help in that area. I think he's a little too off the wall and needs to be reined in somehow. Uh,
2: he's a maverick s- renegade <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> when it
1: comes to puppets so watching with my family I think everyone kind of walked away being like well that was weird which is pretty much what it is I think this movie like it's I, I, normally I would have been like oh go watch Labyrinth but having watched it recently I'm like yeah this movie's just kind of weird It's there's really not a lot necessarily going for it um this <laughs> saying that like it has David Bowie and insane puppeteering hey. and I'm still like eh <laughs> That's yeah. kind of sad. Um, I think that the major failings that I have is it follows kind of a fairy tale simple piece that I almost immediately was like, oh, a modern movie, a better modern movie would have actually spent some time getting us introduced to the character and her faults so that we could understand the journey and the learnings. Instead of it just sort of being like an Alice in Wonderland or Wizard of Oz, they're kind of like immediately in the other world and then just kind of like dragged through that world and then come out the other end learned a lesson question mark um yeah. which, which is kind of what this movie does and i know that that's what it's trying to do and it does that but it's kind of like i don't need that anymore kind of kind of boring the puppeteering's amazing there's some interesting effects for the time the effects don't fucking hold up except for the puppets um <laughs> there was an early attempt at like an actual cgi animal that looks fucking awful but no, it's no. the time right yeah uh it's minimal it's very minimal
0: and George Lucas fucking, saw that, and he was like, God yeah, damn, like, I need to more. remake my whole movie.
1: <laughs> yes, all of it. Fuck um, it, David Bowie's in a completely other movie than everyone else, and it's wonderful. they are just <laughs> a side where cocaine. he sings. <laughs> yeah. He just, well, does he, he just sing sings. one of his
0: hits, or just like a nope, v- original song? He has songs? made songs for this. Yeah. Oh, wow. And
1: there's like two, three original Bowie songs in this that really honestly don't make sense <laughs> in the plot anyway. Nope. So it's yeah, not like, uh, yep. yeah. That's awesome. Um, So I think all my family kind of walked away being like, all right, well, we watched that. So that's kind of my take on (laughs) Labyrinth.
2: I'm really surprised that Darla did not watch Labyrinth as a younger child and like had any kind of nostalgia. because like she
1: had like no, she was completely unaware of it.
2: Anybody that I know that is like, that fits the exact same, I don't want to stereotype Darla, but fits the same kind of pop culture background that Darla has... Dirty like, dancing. Oh, That's what you're yeah, getting at. D- well, yeah. dirty dancing. And like, I mean, all of the things that I've known Darla to really enjoy in the time that I've known her is like also been like, Oh, labyrinth. Hell yeah. We're going to a labyrinth screening tomorrow Yeah, or yeah. like a girl's night at labyrinth sort of thing. And- yeah. Just been like, yeah, okay. I
1: agree. I was kind of surprised that she was like absolutely completely unfamiliar with it. The, David Bowie's package in this, I know, was definitely a lot of women's was awakening. was a massive
2: package yeah. on David Bowie. That man works for the UPS. Uh, he's got a delivery. <laughs> um, yeah, I, I remember parts of this movie, too. Like, it's been a while since I've seen it. And for some reason, um, you can, you know, put me on trial if you want to. I always somehow tether it to the Princess Bride. I don't know if it's just the fairy tale thing. Hmm. Or what the fuck it is, but I think about both of those and I'm like, those are both kind of weird but fun movies. Um, but anytime I go back to Labyrinth, I'm like, oh yeah, this is actually way weirder than I remembered it being. Um, and uh, yeah, it has less substance than our than I always think it does. And I think yeah. I also tie in Neverending Story too. Why not just bundle them all together? No, I would <laughs> put like
1: this and Neverending Story. Are similar beats, but and I feel like never ending story fixes what my main complaint was because we get time at the beginning of the movie to learn about Sebastian and his relationship with his father, how he is at school, the bullies. Like, there's a chunk of the movie at the beginning that gives us enough of the setup yeah. to care and then understand the stakes in the other world. Where Labyrinth, I'm like, did she die here? Or does she die in the real world? I don't even know where we are. Right? There's like no <laughs> yeah. understanding of like what happened, how she got there, like none of that matters. And we honestly just see her practicing a play at the beginning to no one for no point. She Mm -hmm. comes home, bitches that her stepmother is making her watch a baby. It's unclear if her stepmother is really an asshole and this does happen all the time, or if she's just saying that because she's a teenager and is like, oh, you make me do this all the time, mom, kind of, and that's it. And that's all we get. And then she's in the (laughs) goblin world. Like that's, it <laughs> so there's yeah. just really no attempt at setting anything up wow yeah i forgot about that part the setup is really weak <laughs> is that yeah uh, and young then she, jennifer
0: Connolly is it yeah this is yeah young how, jennifer how is she in that
1: i think honestly like that's where the strength kind of lies this is uh yeah it's it's honestly her and, and puppets and then her and david bowie for a little bit they really don't interact a whole lot that's asking um, a lot
0: of a child actor to act alongside puppets that's uh that, yeah. That, that seems difficult.
1: Yeah, exactly well, yeah. And and I think that she does a good job. She comes off well. I think she is a relatable figure, relatable teen, just in sort of like she's and again, this is where it's that simple story, is then she's just a blank slate um, for the most hmm. part that you can reflect onto. Um, which is great as a kid and sort of stupid as an adult, right? <laughs> yes. <laughs>
2: That's right. Um, You're willing to share more of who you are as a kid. That's why uh, Twilight was so
0: popular. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) So, Ryan, are you recommending this movie?
1: Yeah, no. Mm. I don't even think there's... like I was kind of thinking about it from like the puppeteering effects work, and there really isn't that much that's interesting that you couldn't see in something else done by Henson that's done better. Like, just watch Dark Crystal, and then you get the pinnacle of his wizardry in a completely imaginary bizarre world you just kind of get to experience it be like all right watch that um and it's a little bit better in that vein where labyrinth i'm like you eh, know well. the only interesting thing is david bowie honestly yeah <laughs> yeah that,
2: that's kind of where like i'm amazed like netflix bought brought uh, dark crystal back for like a series a limited series that i think also underperformed it's like hey yeah. wow there's a trend here <laughs> um but i was kind of I was. Kind of amazed that they wouldn't try to spin off Labyrinth too and bring in another musical artist that's kind of in the same vein as Bowie or has the same kind of magnetism as Bowie does.
0: That seems um, difficult.
2: <laughs> well, yeah, but also like I'm sure you could find some kind of cool musical twist. Labyrinth had songs written by Bowie that Bowie that were Bowie by Bowie that were nonsensical, and I'm sure you could find another musical artist that can write nonsensical shit now and has a surreal vibe to it or. Shit, man. Make a labyrinth limited series and get Kendrick Lamar to do it. I dare you. <laughs> <laughs> it would be baller. Read <laughs> it R. Yeah. Hard R for kids.
1: I think what's tough is like you you honestly just have to like remake it. And I feel like that's just always derivative when you're like, well, we'll just do the same thing with new people. Yeah. Because how can you expand on what honestly I feel like at the end of the movie, it just is like, oh, she's made it all up. Like that yeah. seems to be the the plot of the movie because if you go watch it a it's second time it's like a time, pan's like,
0: labyrinth kind of thing
1: yeah yeah so i'm like okay. we can't explore yeah. pan's labyrinth more because that was her that was her labyrinth. head that wasn't her wrong head. right wrong
2: like, ryan you absolutely could retcon the shit out of it and be like,
1: <laughs> yes. there's actually yeah.
2: another world that's the dream layer
1: <laughs> yeah, I, mean, I like where pan's she labyrinth. got the feelings from yeah. <laughs> yes <that's> yeah
0: right. <laughs> i think pan's labyrinth is interesting because it's like her coping with the yeah, shit yeah, that's going right. on around that's her right. she's inventing the story right. because she can't deal with reality is there any sort of aspect of that in in labyrinth i don't know i guess her stepmom <laughs> she just, I, I, I get just, there's some like
1: <laughs> yeah there's a newspaper clipping with her mom i don't know if her mom is dead or just left her dad or what uh, so again, like I don't, know. I don't know what the backstory is to get a, to get an impression about why she's in this imaginary world. Yeah. Huh, her the newspaper clipping of her mom is her mom hanging out with David Bowie. Did they have a relationship? Did she bump into David Bowie? I have no idea, but I guess that's why she's infatuated with David Bowie. <laughs> <laughs> I couldn't, John. I couldn't help every single time I saw him, but to say hi, I'm David Bowie. Every time I saw <laughs> him. <laughs>
2: Amazing.
0: (laughs) Uh, Cool. All right. Uh, We're going to go out of the normal order, and I'm going to talk about my movie next because Ryan has to leave, and I really want to hear his take on The Searchers. If you listen to our High Plains Drifter episode, Ryan brought up The Searchers, and I told him we were going to put a pin in that because that was actually my recommend to refute this week. So I went on a Western kick this week up to High Plains Drifter. I was like, it'd be interesting to watch some earlier Westerns and kind of how we got to High Plains Drifter And I, the searchers is one of those. I also watched the wild bunch this week. I had never seen that yeah, before. That's another. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, you know, kind of getting progressively more nihilistic and, and more anti-hero-y in, in the nature of those movies. Um, I had seen the searchers before, but it had been a long time. I think I was in college the last time I had seen it and I didn't remember much about it, but I was shocked when I, the movie on how many scenes i was like oh yeah i remember everything that happened in this scene and like it was amazing how much it had imprinted itself in my subconscious and i didn't really remember how much i liked it and how much it stayed with me um john ford is i think is a fascinating director i i want to explore more of his filmography um he has a bunch of movies that have been lost to time like from the silent era that have just never been recovered and then you know he made movies into the sound era then went and fought in world war ii and then came back and kept making movies and um like stagecoach i think is really great that was wayne's first uh like big screen appearance and um you know he made a lot of movies with john wayne but he also did a lot of work with henry fonda and and with other other actors and the Searchers is probably my favorite of his movies that I have seen. Um, and it, you know, it didn't do well at the time, but like it did okay, but it wasn't like critically acclaimed. And since then it has become, you know, very highly regarded among cinephiles and, and critics. But, um, Ryan, you had mentioned that you were kind of surprised at Wayne's response to high planes drifter because of the searchers. And I agree with you. And, and I think it's interesting to look back at the searchers in that context. Um, That movie is about uh, John Wayne is a Confederate soldier who has refused to surrender and has been just like out who knows where for three years after the end of the war, shows up at his brother's ranch and is like, I'm back now. And then very shortly after that, um, some Native Americans come and raid the property, kill Wayne's brother, his sons, and kidnap uh, his two daughters, so Wayne's two nieces. And take them out, and uh, you know, kidnap them, and assimilate them into their tribe. And so, Wayne and um, another guy who is kind of an adopted child of his brother decide to set out and go on this unrelenting quest to find these two women and bring them back to their society. And it's a very bleak, kind of relentless movie. You know, these basically Wayne and, and this kid give up years of their lives to just kind of fight this revenge story and and try to bring these these girls back into like proper white society. There's a lot of like virulent racism in the movie. And I think that is it's not a reflection of Ford. It's a reflection of like him trying to accurately portray the attitudes in the American West and um kind of how tribalistic and racist it was. And Um, it's shot in Monument Valley. It looks incredible that all these massive stone structures, it just pops off the fucking screen. It looks great. Wayne, you know, a lot of times in his career played, uh, you know, the good guy standing up for moral white society. And in this movie, he is an anti-hero who shoots people in the back and doesn't give a fuck. And, um, he is kind of leaning into that idea and it i the searchers was influential for later westerns that had these anti-heroes that were a little bit more blatant than what Wayne was portraying but um it's interesting to see that movie and to see how how much he hated the way the western genre evolved from there it's like he was willing to take it that far but not any further and he was very upset when other people took it further than that but um i would i i think it's a fascinating movie and um it it's a little bit like you know it's 1956 The acting is a little stagey and over the top, but it hits really hard. Like there's a lot of scenes that I was surprised the emotional weight that they had on me, despite the actors kind of being very theatrical and acting toward the back row. They're doing a really good job. And I think Wayne is also very good um, in the movie. But Ryan, I know we're short on time with you. Uh, Yeah. What are your thoughts on The Searcher?
1: to me that the two movies i kind of point out of like the end of westerns and wild bunch is there too so that's like i always yeah. I, sometimes i forget about that one but wild bunch is another good example of kind of the, the end of the old westerns this and shane to me are the two and, and i think the reason i always think of them is the endings are similar with our main character like walking off alone like leaving behind the world that Yeah, like right. That is not a part of it anymore. Um, In particular, like what's fucking horrible. (laughs) This character is fucking horrible through this. And I agree. It's one where it's like most people are. But at the end, like there are times and then towards the end, like explicitly where he's like, oh, you want to live with the native people and he's just going (laughs) to kill her. He's super racist. Yeah. He's
0: like, yeah, "Yeah, you're not. He's like, she's not white anymore. Like, she deserves to die.
1: (laughs) Yeah, (laughs) exactly. And it's like that outright, horribly racist character. And then like, yeah, and then he kind of walks away because it's like, he's just not, he just doesn't fit in with anyone. Right. And I kind of felt like that was sort of this like, yeah, because the Western mentality doesn't fit in. It was much more like this than it was these other earlier wayne movies this is more what things were like um that it's weird that then that's why i like want to go back and maybe he didn't realize it like he was such a (laughs) horrible person himself that he's like that's that's what i (laughs) would have done yeah he views
0: that as the upright moral person um and maybe like you know at the end of the movie wayne makes the right rain's character ethan makes the right decision right but like and like accepts her back into the family but he he makes that it seems like a split decision like he's like on the verge of maybe murdering her and then doesn't do it but then he he brings her back into the family but then he leaves right he's like i can't deal with this like i i can't understand this concept of mixing cultures and Um, It's interesting because he's a guy that like he understands different cultures, right? He has conversations with other white people in his community about like what Comanches believe and he can speak some Comanche and, and he is like at better equipped to converse with other races than other people in the movie. But he's actually less understanding than a lot of other people in the movie. And there are there are good moral upright people in the movie and I think maybe that's the difference for Wayne where like there is, um, you know, his character ends up kind of making the right decision in the end and there are good God-fearing people in the movie, literally, that like, you know, are are the people you're supposed to be rooting for. And so I think that's probably the difference for him and why he couldn't get behind High Plains Drifter.
1: Yeah, maybe, I. yeah, I guess. Like that it's like, oh, er, Actually, everyone is terrible. Yeah. But from a like a the the deplorable main character, deplorable people standpoint, I'm like, that's is the searchers.
0: Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> and yeah,
1: I just it's I similar in to a lot of ways. Listen, yeah. To his his kind of thinking of the contemporary time. And it really is, I feel like that's the switch in this like late 50s. And it, we kind of see everything. You're talking about the kind of deterioration of the Hayes Code. We get in the 60s and we just have this completely different feel of movies that comes out
0: mm-hmm. that tend to
1: just sort of throw away a lot of the things from before. And that's the Westerns that we get into that do sort of like toss it all out. And it's like The Searchers is in that spot where your, your grandpa... Is watching AMC uh-huh. and Rio Bravo <laughs> comes on, and then The Searchers comes on, and then Hondo comes on, and he doesn't uh-huh. notice that like there's a, something <laughs> different in the middle of his sandwich. <laughs> <in> westerns, <laughs> yeah.
0: <laughs> I like Rio Bravo too. It's good, but uh, yeah, it, it's different. It's 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 not The Searchers. Yeah. yeah.
1: <laughs> I do wonder. That was my other question. I was thinking of last, so, like what what is Baby's first Western? If we were going, you're talking about watching like yeah. three westerns and working your way down stagecoach like, maybe um maybe stage i was like man Who shot liberty vance i was trying to get one where it's like man of shot liberty Vance." yeah yeah like kind of kind of actually good and not necessarily like just
0: that's kind of dark like that's morally ambiguous and dark in a in a way too in a way yeah. but we still
1: have an outright hero
0: true yeah i yep. was
1: thinking like high noon there's some of those where it's like there's an outright hero kind of clearly but it's not just such like a we come in and shoot Everybody, circle yeah. yeah. the wagons, kill everyone who's not white. But it's a pretty dark western. movie too. Like there is Idiot, there yeah. is a
0: hero standing up for what's right, but it's a very it's a very damning movie about like the
1: character of
0: America and like small towns. Yeah, and, and stuff. Maybe yeah. those
1: are the middle. That's the middle step before you that's move the to top line yeah. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah. yeah. i mean a lot of westerns are much darker than people want to remember them i think you know people idealize the western like they do like American ingenuity and, and exceptionalism. You and, know? and it's pie. like Yeah, and it's like, <laughs> it's not what a lot of these movies were doing. At least the ones that have held up that like we go back to today, like, and I've watched a lot of Westerns and it's like, I go back to the ones that I've heard are good, right? And those ones that I've gone back and watched, for the most part, they are fairly dark. There are your John Wayne movies from the time that John Ford was not involved with that are like just, yay, go white people in the West type of shit. But, um, you know, uh, those aren't held up as great movies. It's just like they're around because John Wayne was in them. And that's why yeah. they've survived this long.
1: The The ones that come to mind for me of like Wayne movies, McClintock, which just has a horrible representation of Native people and then culminates in Wayne dragging a woman back across town to show her <laughs> where it's at, which also I think oh. is the end of, what is it? What's the Irish one? A Quiet, Quiet man? man? The Quiet the Man? It's the same thing, where he, except he drags her a lot <laughs> further, which is odd <laughs> that there's two Wayne bed. movies. That yes, my dad loves him. that movie won't fucking That's shut John up That's John Ford, actually, and I haven't seen <laughs> yeah, it, but that is I, I do Ford. want
0: to watch it because it's Ford, but uh, yeah.
1: <laughs> there's yeah. an interest. There's a, like McClintock's just kind of all around <laughs> horrible time. Yeah. If you look back at <laughs> it. <laughs> I watched that on, on TV man, there's, like I some interesting stuff,
0: but I don't remember much of it. Yeah, but just
1: the like... the Again, I was talking about the like... when the movies stop being rapey Uh, it's just like the final yeah the final cap plot is like now let's drag a woman across the country (laughs) yeah (laughs) over my shoulder to show her (laughs) how to be a good woman now
0: (laughs) yeah and the the searchers has some brutal rape in it but it's all off screen and you just see the effects of it right like you see the bloody dress lying at the site of the burned down house right you don't you don't actually see clint east would go in and rape somebody like you do in high plains drifter but yep um all
1: right, well, peace out
0: yeah all right see you ryan <laughs> i'll listen back
2: in john yeah i got to drop yeah sure buddy uh <laughs> let me know what you think i'm gonna uh, turn my chair john
0: any have you have you seen the searchers any any questions or thoughts or anything i haven't
2: seen the searchers you know honestly uh john ford's another director that's in my blind spot um, and I know John Ford has a blind spot too if I understand correctly doesn't he have an eye patch or something oh <laughs> or is that know. just the David Lynch representation <laughs> in the Fableman? perhaps uh, I don't know a
0: lot about John Ford the man but I that's possible
2: yeah who knows um yeah I, uh, I,
0: he did have a very good eye for for movie making uh <laughs> if it was only one I'd be impressed because <laughs> his, he's his movies are visually stunning like the searchers like every frame looks like a goddamn painting like it's just beautiful to look at and like it's all shot in monument valley in like just the color pops off the screen in this fascinating way it's interesting to be like a lot of the movies in the 50s you know they're getting more into color films they're becoming more common and you have technicolor and this one was like vista vision and all these different things and there are all these different ways to represent color at the time and and some of them from this time are so vibrant in a way that like just pops off the screen like nothing you would ever see today and the searchers is like that i was like i've never seen a sky that blue that's fucking wild (laughs) like it's just it's just crazy
2: man um yeah i have stagecoach i haven't watched it yet um you should the
0: stunts in stagecoach are fucking wild okay like 1939 it's clearly all on screen like there's like a cameraman who has to like lay under a horse as it jumps Holy over shit. and kind of shit. Like oh it's, it's pretty That's wild. Amazing. Yeah.
2: Yeah. I, uh, yeah. Criterion sent me, I think duplicates. Um, so oh, I ended nice. up giving one to my uncle who's like really hyped on it. I oh, was there you like, go. all yeah. right. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's something that I've been meaning to, it's another one of those things where, uh, it's another director. I've just, been meaning to get back into and actually experience a lot of the movies that he's made. So
0: yeah. And I think Ford is a director who like his connection with Wayne has become detrimental today to how people view him. him. And like you think, oh, it's John Wayne. Oh, it's gonna be your standard whatever, like good guy Western, like killing the Indians. Um, but no, like his movies are very good and very different than a lot of the standard Western stuff that came out at the time so i mean there's
2: a reason they're in the criterion collection yeah uh, so you know that um
0: i think I've, I've only seen ford movies with wayne in them and there there's still some with wayne that i haven't seen but i do want to explore into like i have the criterion blu-ray of um my darling clementine which is a western made with henry fonda mm-hmm. um, and, and there's other you know other stuff he's done that is kind of outside of that vein but he used Wayne in a really great way like accentuating what he did well um and uh, especially so in the searchers and kind of turning him into this anti-hero character that like you despise in in scenes and like really hate what he's doing but you're also kind of rooting for him and um I like I don't like I don't know maybe I guess film noir was really the first instance like during and post-world war ii where you start to have characters like that, but this feel the searchers feels like the like preeminent American Western anti-hero prior to spaghetti Westerns coming on and kind of, yeah, part of the post-Western when it hits. Yeah. Kind of advancing that concept further and evolving it into something different, but
2: cool. Uh, Uh, yeah, I'm excited to see it. Uh, uh, my only other question is, do you have a John Wayne impression? Do you ever try to attempt to John <laughs> Hey,
0: <Wayne>? Pilgrim. <laughs> uh, I guess no is the answer to that. Uh, um, I love
2: telling people that he was in Genghis Khan because yeah. I'm like, yeah, he went from Westerns where he's like, saddle up the wagons. We're heading west Pilgrims to Genghis Khan where he's like saddle up the wagons. We're heading west Pilgrims.
0: <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Shocking that he played Genghis Khan. I kind of like I have a morbid curiosity about watching that movie. Uh,
2: I would watch that with you if you want to yeah. watch it. Oh, I, point, I, I I've have, never seen it. I've never doubted
0: I, <laughs> that you would watch that movie if someone offered.
2: <laughs> oh, definitely.
0: Uh so yeah, I would definitely recommend the searchers. I think it is pretty fascinating. Again, like there are scenes that feel very old Hollywood stagey, but they're still done so well. I was I was shocked at the emotional weight that they had. And there there's like a subplot that is very affecting about the um Kind of Wayne's quasi net like adoptive nephew that is going along with him on this journey to find Wayne's nieces, and he is an eighth. Um, I'm I'm blanking on the Indian tribe. He's he's an eighth native, and uh, and he is like uh, been abandoned and adopted by this family, and he is uh, kind of dealing with a lot of these racial issues himself because he feels the tension and what's going on around him. And meanwhile, you know, there's a local woman who's in love with him. And he like continues to throw that away in pursuit of something that seems to be uh, something that can't be achieved, right? He's Very on this revenge, yeah, this yeah. revenge quest to like get his like adoptive sisters back. But like it's been years and he has this woman at home who loves him and he keeps like being like, no, Man. I can't be with you because I have to just like go around the country and find, you know, just find my sisters somewhere And it's like, everybody's like telling Wayne and and this kid, like, you have to stop this. This is ridiculous. Like you are destroying yourselves and throwing away your lives for something like they're dead. You need to stop doing this. Like you need to give up and and move on with your lives and they can't do it. And the effect that it has on them and on the people around them, it, it, it really comes through in a, in a powerful way that, um, I, I wasn't expecting it too. So yeah, I, I, was really impressed with it. It's, it's pretty great. And again, like I'd seen it before, but it was a long time ago and I'd forgotten most of it and it was, uh, I'm really glad I watched it again. So
2: nice. Well, I'll have to check it out along with a lot of other John Ford movies. Yeah. So, um, well, uh
0: John, what did you watch this week? Uh
2: I'm actually calling an Audible right now. I'm gonna surprise you. I'm gonna oh my ambush God. you. Okay. Uh, in the middle of this podcast, right now, everybody, you're hearing it live. This is not something that's been pre recorded or determined. Um, I was gonna talk about Blade with Wesley Snipes, which I've is never seen that. A so. peak Wesley Snipes Marvel vehicle, uh, in which Wesley Snipes um even works in the line some motherfuckers wanna ski uphill. Uh, (laughs) for no fucking reason, he just does that. Um, but, uh,
0: you, you're not telling me it's better than demolition, man.
2: It's not better than demolition, man. (laughs) I have a friend who would probably argue that. Um, but it, it is, you know, peak Wesley Snipes before he got, what did he get? Tax fraud? Yeah. Tax evasion. Yeah.
0: He didn't pay his taxes. Yep. There you go, everybody pay your
2: taxes. Um, I'm not going to talk about that though, because while you were talking about John Ford and the searchers, I couldn't stop thinking about David Lynch as John Ford And I couldn't Uh, stop thinking about how I just finished Twin Peaks, the first season.
0: Holy shit, John.
2: I fucking, I I texted you that I was watching it. You uh, did, Like three episodes in. And um, then the next thing I know, I finished the first season. And I I haven't started on second one yet. Uh, I'm I'm about to get started on it. But holy fucking shit, this show. Uh, um, I I really (laughs) want to talk about how this is. I feel like this is the peak, you know, before the, the... the one peak of the Twin Peaks before (laughs) I I ride down the roller coaster into David Lynch territory and I start watching more Lynch films.
0: Yeah, you have only Um, seen Eraserhead, right? I've I've only seen Eraserhead. Which is maybe my favorite Lynch film. And Dune,
2: which we don't acknowledge. Yeah, no. Lynch (laughs)
0: doesn't like that movie. Like the studio took it from him. Absolutely.
2: Uh, And the studio took that from Jodorowsky. (laughs) So (laughs) there's there's a troubled past there. Um, But yeah, like David Lynch is another blind spot of mine. And so I, for like years, people have told me, you got to watch Twin Peaks. You just got to see it. It's so good. It's wild. I talked to a, a local filmmaker recently who she's a surrealist and she was like, have you seen Twin Peaks? Like, that's my whole kind of Bible. That's what I reference when I want to make shit. Oh wow. and She was lamenting how like American cinema and even American commercials don't embrace surrealism the way that they should. And uh, it's one of those things where the more people talk about it, the less I want to watch it. Yeah. But I powered through. I get that. I I absolutely powered through this time because I had watched the first episode of Twin Peaks like three years ago. And I thought, meh,
0: the first episode is it's like two hours long. Yeah. And it's very slow. It takes its time to step. I don't I don't even think Kyle MacLachlan is in the first. He's, episode, he's in it. Right? He shows
2: up at the very end. He, yeah, but barely. Like, yeah, barely. He's not. Yeah. He's not in that whole thing. That's really so, the only
0: thing good thing that came out of Dune was Lynch and McLaughlin's relationship. Oh God, Kyle McLaughlin, I fucking love that guy. Oh, he's After, so good in Twin Peaks yeah. and in Blue Velvet and a lot. I, of things I can't with wait Lynch. to
2: dive into Blue Velvet and like yeah, just see all these other things. That's that's the thing. Twin Peaks has like invigorated my my need, my desire to watch more Lynch yeah. stuff, and so I'm I'm really fucking excited, but. Uh, The kind of premise, I was pitching it to some friends recently, so I've workshopped this a little bit. Um, If you go into Twin Peaks, the first episode is uh, centered around the death of a local town resident in Twin Peaks, Laura Palmer, who's a high schooler. And you might think because of your current contemporary brain, this is going to be one of those like, oh, it's a drama where I can follow everything. And uh, I describe it as if NCIS (laughs) was like a serial uh, like our, or like a um an actual continuous story you mm. might assume initially that it's going to be that it's not that at all um, there is a crime at the center of it there is a driving motivation for the first season at least it's my understanding that the studio stepped in for the second season and that they started making creative decisions and that resulted in Lynch leaving for a little bit. Yeah. Um,
0: I still really like the second season. I know some people have qualms with like the second half of the second season. I watched through the whole thing and had a great time.
2: So. Well, that's good to know. Yeah. yeah like I, I I just heard like at the time that it came out, it was um, really just pushing like the whole reason Twin Peaks even got greenlit was because ABC was like desperate for a TV show.
0: They had to be. They, like, this was the really like the first like prestige TV show that ever existed. It's the, the only show at that time, like it came in 91.
2: Yeah. A little bit earlier. I think 90, and yeah. and
0: like you had to actually watch all the episodes in order to understand it. And then in, in an age where we're just putting this shit on the airwaves and hoping people pay attention, uh-huh. like that's a hard sell. You can't go back once it's off the air, it's off. Like they're not replaying that shit. And yeah. you know, you can't go back and stream the previous episodes.
2: Not only did they, they make this bold choice because they gave Mark Frost and David Lynch full creative control to do what they wanted to in the first season. Mm -hmm. Um, Mark, Mark Frost and David Lynch even said to them, don't even try to give us notes because you're not going to fucking understand what this show is. (laughs) And the studio still gave them notes and they still didn't listen. Um, and so, The first season for everybody out there is eight episodes long. The first episode is an hour and a half. Every episode after is about 45 minutes. It's the usual hour long TV block. Yep. It aired at the same time that cheers did. Um, and cheers was like the fucking top of the charts.
0: I didn't know that. Nobody
2: would think that you could top cheers, but it started amassing this following because yeah, what's going to happen next.
0: A lot of young people who were into it. I think yeah, at the time, right? and like yeah. who's
2: who murdered Laura Palmer, who could it be? And like all of these twists. And if you watch it, you'll get this weird, it's a pastiche. It's a surreal pastiche of these different genres. You get a little soap opera in it. You get a, a, a crime procedural. You get some yeah. noir. You get a little bit of all of these little seasonings that come together. And then you get David Lynch's kind of signature surrealism that'll come in and swoop down and like, just take characters into dreamland. And you have all of these really weird sequences, um, that don't, they're not like, you know, every minute you're getting something David Lynch weird. You just have characters that are quirky and in a way they, they win your love. They're not relatable to the full extent that you would think like, oh, I'm watching something where this is somebody in a small town I could totally see. It's like, it feels like everything's cranked a little bit higher in how people interact and react to each other.
0: The stakes feel higher that every conversation feels like there's some like static electricity.
2: There. Yeah, there's something there. And the score is fucking beautiful for as kind love of. I love like, Angela
0: Battalamenti. Yeah. He is incredible. For yeah. for
2: for as like, I don't know if you if you watch other shows at the time or like soap operas or that kind of thing, it has a similar kind of melodrama to it, but there is something so brooding and deep about it that resonates. And you just can't the moment the show's over, you can't help but hear it in places you go and in things that you see and uh yeah all of these things just like took me for a ride and i um initially begrudgingly anytime i start a prestige show i'm like an hour and a half to get into this and then Mm -hmm. 45 minutes every episode i texted you even and was like fuck i forgot the episodes are like 45 minutes long but yeah i'm not complaining like i found out that uh Uh, the guy who played Luther and the warriors is in this show. Mm -hmm. And I was kind of like, Oh, that guy. And then there are a few other faces that I've seen before. Um, And then the drama started kicking in and at times the show, while it's so kind of, it can be surreal and weird. There's a whole segment where the FBI agent played by Cal McLaughlin, Dale Cooper, um, gives a speech on Tibet and <laughs> <laughs> he like talks about this layer of how he perceives dreams and how they feed into his crime solving problems. It's one of those things where like, if my dad was watching it, I could definitely see him being like, this is bullshit, but I'm mm. on a different meta physical level where I was like, Oh fuck. I definitely am vibing with whatever the fuck this is. Oh, yeah. I love this. Um, it goes from that to like, Really hard crime kind of narrative drama, and it's so mesmerizing. I can't take my eyes off it, and I'm like, I can this feel myself me so being happy sucked to hear into
0: it. That you like it so much, uh, so. yeah,
2: man. I'm fucking, I'm all about it. It's so great. The only thing that I regret is that I can't register it on Letterboxd until I watch the full series. But
0: you know,
2: <laughs> hey, man, suffering from success, I suppose. <laughs> so I, I'm uh, the first season of Twin Peaks is like. Just the biggest over the moon recommend I have for folks. I think that some of the historical context might help you enjoy it more. I've talked to a few other friends who have been hesitant to watch it just because they've had the same kind of people telling them, "Oh, it's so good, you got to watch it." Yeah. Or um I always get that reaction
0: a, when everybody tells me to watch whatever TV show. I just lock yep. down. I'm like, no, I'm not doing yeah, that. Yeah, you're like, yeah, oh, yeah I'm not going to go with this. Mm-hmm. Um, but not fucking I, watching Squid Game, okay. <laughs>
2: <laughs> but I'm so glad that I stuck with it and I I pushed through. Um, and to say push through is is, you know, just it's an expression, everybody. It's not actually what I did because the show itself is so mesmerizing. It kept it carried me. A mm. lot of the way. The
0: pushing through was pressing play on the first episode. That's right. The yeah. pushing
2: through is the first hour and a half to really get to know your characters. Okay, just sit down with like a cup of tea or some coffee. You know, dessert coffee. Stay with a
0: cup of coffee. Yeah, you
2: know, <laughs> good coffee. And they got a cherry pie that'll fucking kill you.
0: <laughs> it's damn good
2: coffee. <laughs> but yeah, like. uh Th- these moments of it, they make me really hopeful for what I'm going to see in the rest of Lynch. And this is the beginning of the ride. I'm super excited for it.
0: So awesome.
2: I would recommend Twin Peaks. Um, I would recommend the first season anyway. That's what I'm qualified to recommend. Um, but yeah, I'm excited to look at the second season and I'll watch Firewalk with me. I know that's in the criterion collection mm-hmm. and then the return the return, which the I've return heard is
0: is interesting. I've heard the return yeah. is
2: very indulgent and I love my indulgence when it comes to directors. Mm, you'll and like vision, it. You'll, so. you'll like the return. All right. Yeah. Sweet. Well, I'm looking forward to all of those things, but that's what I'm bringing to this one. That's my audible. I wanted to call it and it was married. Um, it, I would say. Yes.
0: Yeah, so I'm very glad that you decided to talk about this instead of blade. <laughs> that's um, right. <laughs> good call. Um, yeah. I, I, I love twin peaks. I echo everything that you just said. Um, I probably owe it a rewatch. It's been. I don't know, six or seven years since I've watched it, I I would, I I would like to go through and and watch it again. Um, the, I think the moment that I remember as like when I kind of got on board with the show, I think it was the third episode and comic McLaughlin's character is trying to determine like what leads to follow by like blindfolding himself and like, shooting targets or he's, bow, and he's arrow, shooting a bow and arrow and he's into throwing targets
2: rocks at a yes. glass yeah
0: yeah 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 and he's just like determining what leads are good by just blindfolding himself and throwing shit in the woods and i'm like okay what's going on here <laughs> this yes. is interesting like it where it starts to kind of pull itself away from reality and then I believe it's at the end of that episode there is a weird ass dance sequence in a room with some red curtains and a zebra floor the red room and I was like oh my god I'm fucking in for this uh this is weird and I don't know what it is but I'm fucking gonna keep watching
2: he gives a full lecture on Tibet and the Dalai Lama and then he goes Uh into his suspect picking process and everybody on the show is like are you really sure about this? And he's like, <laughs> yes. And then it ends. Yeah. With that sequence. And that sequence is done with like backwards dialogue and a lot of dream. It is exactly yes. what you would see in a dream. And the David backwards Lynch
0: dialogue favorite. in, in twin peaks is very unsettling and yeah. fascinating. Th- yeah.
2: th- that's part of the draw to like, to anybody out there who's still listening. And I'm like, I don't know if I would like that. Um, let me just ask the question. Have you ever wanted to see what a dream feels like? Because, David Lynch is great at conjuring that. And that's what he represents yeah. in the third. No episode. filmmaker does that
0: better than Lynch conjuring a dream feeling. We're yeah. just, everything is out of place and you're not really sure why, but you know, it's wrong and you can't look away. And yeah, uh, yeah,
2: exactly. And so the first two episodes ground you and the third episode slowly starts to lift your feet off the ground and take you with it. And then from there, you hands in the air, man, it's the ride. It's great. Mm-hmm. So yeah, it was the same for me. I, I honestly, the first two episodes, I was like, all right, okay. And then the third episode just got me. I was like, Oh, okay. <laughs> yeah. Hell yeah. What is this? Deals. But yeah, I th- I think it has that same problem that like, that's talking about getting through the first and second episode in our previous, um, episode on the, the, if this releases at the right time on the venture brothers, then, uh, um, we talk about how, like, there is sort of a commitment to different shows where people are like, "Oh, you got to get through like the first season," or you, you know, when they talk about yeah. prestige shit, they're like, "You got to get through this, and then you'll enjoy it."
0: And I immediately am like, "Nope." When somebody I'm, I'm tells gonna me I'm not going to do that. that. Yeah. yeah,
2: and it, I feel like Twin Peaks. It's more of its the getting through the first two episodes is suffering from the same problem that Blade Runner suffers from in a way where it's playing off of tropes that are established things that you've been familiar with that have been shredded through modern time and contemporary times as well. And so when you watch it, you'll be like, these characters aren't reacting the way that I would expect them to these, this crime doesn't seem the same way that I would see in CSI and like that kind of shit. And that as, as much as you feel that, like fight that feeling because when it takes you, it will go. And it's really about getting familiar with the characters, how quirky and weird some of them are, how grounded some of them are and just embracing that mix. That's, that's the beauty of the show. Mm -hmm. It's not trying to be a, you know, villain of the week shit. And it's not trying to be, you know, this weird, like we're going to go for eight seasons on this epic drama following a family. Like, no, that's not what it's about. It is playing so much with what television could be. And, uh, and it's fucking beautiful. So. Yeah,
0: definitely. Um I yeah, I I think Twin Peaks is is probably my favorite prestige TV show and I think Lynch really um takes advantage of the episodic nature of of the show and builds these characters in a fascinating way over time that I think so many prestige TV shows now just completely fumble that and just draw very short plots over way too much time and just like have the camera look at characters staring pensively off in the distance and you're supposed to, uh, you know, infer something from that. And I I think the, that Lynch, like Lynch is just so much better than that. Right. And he's, he's making something that is just fascinating and weaves together in a really great way and pays off as, as you go along. And um, it's just fascinating show. And I think one of the reasons it works so well is Kyle McLaughlin and He is he's really great at towing the line between he's playing this guy who is this FBI agent that is on the surface trying to display this idea that he is this, you know, kind of perfect, good natured American lawman coming to help out and be really nice. But he has this kind of unsettling nature to him as well, where like you're not necessarily sure what his motives are as he comes into town and you know like he is the protagonist of of the show but um you know like he's more complex than that and I I think he plays that character in a fascinating way where like at any moment you're not necessarily sure what his motives are and what he's thinking as he's going along and for most time, you're like, yeah, he's, oh, he's doing what's right. But then occasionally you're like, wait a minute, is he doing something nefarious here? And like, because of the way he plays the character, you're almost not sure necessarily what to think of him and what he's doing, kind of coming in as this outsider to this community. Um, and he's great. I, I wish we had more Kyle McLaughlin starring roles. Like he's so good in this. He's so good in Blue Velvet and I feel like he hasn't been used well by other directors. And I think that is is sad because he is a very good actor and really um, just like he's a lot of the reason why Twin Peaks works to the degree that it does.
2: Yeah, I would say it's funny because when you're talking about like whether or not he's nefarious, I never got like a sense that he might have some nefarious intention. I just got the sense of he's the dichotomy of like a Boy Scout from the FBI and yeah. somebody who's completely unhinged in their experimental thoughts. Like I think about like David Fincher's Mindhunter and sort of the stories of like when the FBI was experimenting with, uh, oh, could we talk to serial killers and actually learn like a pattern mm-hmm. of behavior? And how like there was a lot of guesswork done for that, and his character feels that same way, where he's like, you know, he's he's lecturing dudes about Tibet and talking about the dream world and how it influences the decision he makes in sort of the framework of like apple pie justice.
0: Uh-huh. And
2: at the same time, he'll stop to talk about how great the coffee and the cherry pie is in a place, uh-huh. and he'll just that man bounce loves back. coffee and pie. In the middle of talking about like Laura Palmer's death, he's like what kind of trees you got up here? They're just great. Like, gotta uh, fill my lungs with the air from it. And it's this like really concerning amount of fluctuation between somebody who's like he's like too earnest right and you're like
0: wait a minute i don't buy it like what's going on dead teenage
2: girl and you know she's got these kind of wounds and then uh what would you say how much is a plot of land here if i was to buy a (laughs) cabin (laughs) like just that fluctuation you're like what the fuck (laughs) Mm -hmm. but it it, it ends up working and you're like holy shit this character i really love those aspects of Mm -hmm. them like they're able to do business and pleasure, I suppose, in the place that they go to. Um, but yeah. he's
0: also constantly leaving notes for someone for in a recorder. But his... it's like it's in a tape recorder that he's yeah. talking into, and you never see him like mail them off somewhere. You yeah. never see him call her or write her letter or anything. Yeah. And it's I'm like, is this guy insane? Like, is he just making notes for no one as he's going? Like, what? Is, and it, so there, like, there's this air of mystery obviously into the plot of the movie and like we're trying to figure out the murderer and all these things, but there's an air of mystery into the main character too that I think is really fascinating. Yeah. And McLaughlin plays it in a way that just works perfectly tonally for for what the, the show needs.
2: Absolutely. I agree. So um, yeah, I'm thankful I watched it uh, I'm thankful
0: I, you watched it, John. Yeah.
2: And I, am looking forward to watching blue velvet and getting into all the other David Lynch films. Um, and, uh, and really just kind of diving into more of Lynch's expression in film and what he does. We, we need to
0: do a David Lynch movie on the podcast. We haven't, we haven't done that yet. And it's I, true. he's one of my favorite filmmakers. So I, I, I really want to get into, to more Lynch shit, get into the weird stuff.
2: Hey man, we'll make it happen. Yeah. I'm sure there's there's plenty of time to make something go on for David Lynch here. It's not going to be Dune, everybody. Okay, I know no. you think that I'm a schlock guy, but I'm not bringing Dune to this podcast. <laughs> I refuse unless we have a guest that insists it. But yeah. don't you dare. <laughs> Maybe we'll do the
0: Villeneuve, Villeneuve Dune, but not uh, not the Lynch Dune. We will we will talk <laughs> in
2: passing about the Lynch Dune when we talk about <laughs> Villeneuve. Yeah, <laughs> but yeah. So there you go. Recommend cool uh
0: all right so we have a refute from ryan for labyrinth uh ryan is no longer with us on this podcast so john would you like to say any disparaging remarks about ryan
2: I just want to offer a moment of silence for Ryan, everybody. He's no longer with us on this podcast.
0: (laughs) He has uh, passed into the great beyond of uh, some sort of family obligation that he had.
2: He's watching that family movie up in the sky. (laughs) The sky of California.
0: (laughs) Uh, I am giving a uh, glowing recommendation for The Searchers, and John is giving a uh, probably even more glowing recommendation of Twin Peaks. It's a dream. Type
2: of season one for season season one of Twin Twin Peaks, Peaks. yes.
0: So, um, yeah, uh, this was a fun one. Love talking about David Lynch, and uh, so yeah, everybody go watch Twin Peaks, it's very good. Um, cool. So, uh, you know, with me as always, not anymore, or Ryan, Ryan do an impression. Hold on, I'll do it, I'll do it. Okay,
2: all right, Ryan King. (laughs)
0: okay uh i don't know if that sounded like Ryan. close enough i tried to get a
2: nasaliness to it ryan i hope that you're flattered (laughs) i attempted
0: (laughs) and this motherfucker hi sir i have been your host michael dixon uh thanks for joining us this week uh we'll we'll see you later
2: Hey there, movie buffs, TV toughs, and all listeners in between. John here from the Afterthoughts Podcast. I just wanted to drop in at the end of this episode and say thanks for listening. If you've got afterthoughts of your own to share, hit us up. You can find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at The Afterpod, or jump into a conversation on our Discord server. You can find info for this and more at theafterpod.transistor.fm. Thanks again for listening, and we'll catch you on the next episode.